Heather Duvall, and welcome to Jane's Talks. Hi, everyone. Um, yes, we have Taylor Duval in the house today. It's another episode of Jane's Talks, my new podcast. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, new people. It's great to have you here. And yeah, we've got another guest for you today. Um, she Taylor is a writer, a blogger, um, an editor, I think. And she's from, well, she's just moved from um, Las Vegas to Costa Rica with her boyfriend. So I'm speaking to her today in Costa Rica. We're live in Costa Rica today. Um, and we're going to be talking about all the things we normally talk about here, uh, creativity, spirituality, and all sorts of other things. So I'm just going to, um, so hello, Taylor, and welcome. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to do this with you. I'm very excited to chat for a little bit. Great. Great to have you here. Right. Cool. All right, just before we get stuck in, just in case you want to contact me, um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at jamesprescott77. My blog is jamesprescott.co.uk, and I've got a Facebook group as well, James Prescott Writer, jamesprescott.co.uk. So go and check those out and contact me, and I'd love to hear from you. Um, so, yes, to, talking to Taylor. So, Taylor, tell us a bit of your story. Awesome. Well, I was born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the hot desert in the west coast of America. And I was born to lovely parents, kind, supportive, generous parents. And there was me and my my little brother. And we grew up like a very normal family. Grew up going to church on Sundays. Um, We had barbecues in the backyard. It was very picturesque, normal, lovely encouraging childhood experience and my parents were very encouraging that I should pursue artistic endeavors they never really um you know forced me to be too practical or they were very encouraging and supportive and put me in music lessons and let me take workshops and um so creativity and artistry was just a part of my life from the Mm -hmm. beginning Um, neither one of my parents really pursued creativity, but when my brother and I came along, we're both very interested in, in music and writing and, and visual arts. And that was always really encouraged. And so I, I started really working toward that. I wanted my first goal, you know, I'm a writer and editor now. Um, but my first goal is to be a musician. I was going to be the rock star Mm. touring America and, um, Somewhere in there, my love for the written word grew. And so I started pursuing that. I decided when I was like 12 or 13, I'm going to be an English major and I'm going to write the next best novel and all these things. And I got really excited about it. And everything was lovely until about 16. And I had this total crisis, this faith crisis, this creativity crisis, this, what am I doing with my life? I was really disillusioned by church and by the people in my life. It was just always the people surrounding us. And I started wondering, what do I believe? What do I think? What do I want to do? And in the middle of having this crisis, I grew a lot of fear and everything scared me. Everything terrified me. And my response to fear was, I'm just not going to do anything ever because it's scary. And so I, I started school, I quit school because I was nervous. Like, could I make money being a writer? Could I make money doing music? Could I make money? I was just, just riddled with fear. 
And the thing that I knew was I was dating this guy. He was a nice guy. Um, he was a musician too. And so I married him very, very young. And, um, I was very young, not just in age, but also in maturity. And I let go of everything that I loved. I didn't write. I didn't really, once in a while I'd, I'd play music on Sunday at church, but for the most part, I let everything go. My creativity throughout the window, all of my passions out the window. I wasn't pouring into myself in any means. I was basically like surviving. I was just surviving every day. And, um, a few years went by and I was just miserable, but I was pretending to be okay for a long time because I was a good girl and all this stuff. And, uh, and finally I had kind of this epiphany moment where I realized I was not in a healthy relationship at all. I lost myself completely and I made the radical decision to know that I'm going to feel fear and I'm going to be scared no matter what. So I might as well do all those things anyway. Like I can't change that. Mm -hmm. I feel scared, but I can change how I respond to that fear. And I ended up getting divorced at 22, which felt crazy at the time. Nobody in my family had been divorced. I was the first one. It was embarrassing. It was difficult, but it was absolutely the right thing that they could have done at that time. And I went back to school. I moved in with my parents, which felt humiliating and freeing all at the same time. And then I learned that it was, there was nothing humiliating about it. It was, it was exactly what I needed to do. And I went back and I majored in English, like I always wanted to do. And I started writing for different publications and I started playing music again. And I started, you know, exploring things like photography and, um, meeting lots of creative friends. And I kind of came back to myself and in the middle of all that, I also kind of found a peace with my faith again and my spirituality. And, um, I always, I always kind of struggle with the stories that say things were awful. Now they're great because it kind of seems cheap. Like it wasn't just a, mm. all of a sudden I woke up and things were great and it's not that things are perfect, but I'm doing all the things that I love to do. And, and that's really important to me. And, um, by no means was there this cure-all pill or this, you know, mm. thing that made everything better. But, you know, it was just a matter of saying, I want to live the life that I should have been living. I want my life to be full. I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. And mm. that kind of brought me to where I am now. That's a phenomenal story. Well, you packed a lot into five minutes. <laughs> um, no, that's a phenomenal story. I, one, one, the first thing, well, well, I think we should go back and unpack all of this because I think there's a lot there. Um, first, but the first thing I wanted to, I thought I noticed was, um, which I've noticed from talking to other people, is that you kind of, and I think I had this myself actually, um, you kind of got had this place where you thought you had it all together, and you had a, you had all the all your kind of beliefs, and you're kind of almost like your life mapped out, and everything was kind of structured and organised and certain. And then some big, big kind of big kind of traumatic event happened. Like for you, that was the divorce. You know, um, yeah. like some big some some big like event happens to us. Something traumatic happens to us, and. Yeah. And we're stripped down and we have nothing else and we're forced to start again. And that's often I see when people who tell me stories of, that, of how their life has been transformed and how they've discovered 
the world, seeing the world in new ways is often when they've been through those kind of events, and it and it and it's just you to, and, yeah, and it seems definitely that that's true for you as well. Oh, absolutely! I think those the things that we try we so often I think try to avoid the tragedy and the pain, but that's so often the catalyst for the greatness too. It's it's definitely that turning point was at my, at my lowest. It wasn't like my turning point happened when I was the happiest and the fullest. It happened when I was in deep pain mm. and confusion. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. I, um, I think it's the fault in our stars. There's this line and I've only seen the movie. I haven't read the book, but, um, pain demands to be felt. Yes. I love that line. I love that line. And it's so true. And, I, um, I really feel that we avoid, we try everything to avoid, like we numb, um, that's where we get addiction. We try to avoid anything that's unpleasant. And so we mask it and we, you know, we drink or we take drugs or we have sex addiction, or we just try to numb it or we try to pretend that it's not there, but it has to be felt like we have to go through that. It's part of the human experience, like pain Without pain, we don't get the feeling of joy and contentment and ecstasy. You know, it's it's a both and. We, yeah. we have these mixed emotions. And if we always are searching for the next high, we're missing out by not just walking through the low. I, I read a blog post by somebody, um, Sarah Bessie, is one of my favorite writers. Oh, I love Sarah Bessie. Yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's been on this podcast. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm promoting her book at the moment. So, um, and check that out, Out of Sorts. Go and get it, everyone, um, by the way. Um, but she wrote a blog post about this, about this subject, saying that if we numb the pain, then we'll actually end up numbing the joy as well. And we won't be able to experience life in all its fullness because we'll have numbed everything. We won't just have numbed our pain, we'll have numbed our joy. And I know that myself because I've I've had problems with like overeating and stuff, to, you know, and that kind of thing, which I've used to you know, to numb, numb the pain. But actually what I've, what I've experienced, um, is that when you confront it, you, although you go to really dark places, when you confront it, you do kind of come out the other side a bit more free and yeah, a bit more, you know, more alive. Um, Absolutely. yeah. So what was your kind of journey of faith then? Like going from, I mean, how did that kind of progress from where you were to, where you are kind of now, you know, what was that like? Yeah. Well, I grew up in a very conservative Christian environment. Um, I was homeschooled. I, um, it, we, we did go to church on Sundays, but what I left out is we also went to church on Saturdays and Wednesdays and Tuesdays. And church was very much the backbone of our life. And in some ways that blessed me. And in some ways it, it really hurt me. Um, so I thought that I knew everything when I was a, when I was a kid and when I was a young teenager, I thought I knew everything about God. I knew everything about the world. I knew everything about the Bible. I knew everything about spirituality. It all made sense. Like it all laid together perfectly. And I knew who was wrong and I knew who was right. And I knew who was in and I knew who was out. Mm. Everything was fine and, and perfect and like in the right spot. Like all the pieces fit for a very long time. And then a couple things happened. I, um, there was a, a staff member at our church who 
attempted to have a highly inappropriate relationship with me. At the same time, so that started, like, in my mind, that started making me question things like, wait a minute, church, the church people are supposed to be perfect. They're supposed to have it all together. Why is this guy a creeper? Like, this doesn't add up in my brain. And then I experienced, there was um, a couple in my youth group who got caught having premarital sex. And the man was treated with grace and understanding, and the woman was ostracized. And then that started feeling weird to me. And, and then there was an incidence of infidelity within the church. And all these things started crumbling. And I was realizing, wait a minute, this isn't all perfect. There isn't a clear line of who's right and who's wrong. And that's really what started this faith crisis. And I'm wondering, what do I believe? Do I even believe in God? Do I even believe in the Bible? Do I believe anything? And um, through that process, I couldn't... I couldn't let go of God. God seemed to be the constant. Like I seemed to always find peace and rest and acceptance with God. But I had a lot of problems with this fakeness that I was seeing, this pretending to be perfect while in reality it is so incredibly not perfect. And I had trouble with choosing certain people to ostracize and certain people to be mean to and certain people to call out, but then not choosing other people to ostracize or I didn't understand any of that. And I was having massive problems with that. And I was seeing a lot of disparity in the way men were treated versus women were treated in this culture. And I was seeing, you know, certain, certain groups being treated horribly because of their sexual identities. And I was really struggling with all that. And, um, it was a year, years and years of reading and contemplating and writing and speaking to people. I'd always ask people what they thought and what they believed and what was, what was their faith journey. And I was trying to reach out to people outside of that conservative Christian sphere because I realized everybody I knew was the same. Everybody I knew was a conservative Christian and I didn't know anybody else. And I wanted to start seeing how other people in the world acted and what they believed and what they thought about God. And so I started asking, I just asked people to tell me their faith stories. And I started realizing that it wasn't as simple as some people are right and some people are wrong. There was a lot more color and gray areas. It wasn't just black and white. And through all that, I found a peace in my Christianity and I found a peace with God. And, um, Again, this wasn't a thing that was this easy fix that now I have it all perfectly wrapped up in a bow and I understand it all. It's more of the best way I can think of it. It's a peace and a calm and realizing that at the end of the day, I know that God is love and the things that are loving are of God and the things that are hateful are not of God. And that's all I know. And I'm perfectly comfortable saying, I don't know everything. I don't, I don't know exactly why there's pain. I don't know exactly why, um, people do horrible things. I don't know all these things, but that's okay. I can trust that, that that's being handled at the end of the day. I'm called to love and there's really nothing more to it. So I found a peace with it. It's not like I've, I've figured it all out and I could list it out in ABC. This is exactly Mm -hmm. how I believe. And it's more just like, it just kind of comes down to God is, God is love, and if it's not loving, I don't want to be a part of it. That's a very um, 
simple, simple kind of, in a good way, I mean, not like a kind of, you know, simple as in uneducated, but simple as in kind of minimal, minimalist kind of, you know, kind of way. And I know you're into minimalism as well. We'll talk about I that. Am so minimalism. Um, yes. I love the minimalists as well. <laughs> so it's very fitting that that's um, how it came out. <laughs> um, yeah. I kind of, it's like a childlike kind of faith. And I, that's how it's meant to be. You know, um, I, I love that. I mean, that's kind of, it's, I mean, obviously I haven't had the same experiences that you've had, but I certainly had a point where I got kind of disillusioned with the certainty and like, yeah. And again, it was a traumatic event. It was the death of my mother that I, um, that kind of shifted me out of that. And it was like, well, this, none of this makes sense anymore. I have to start questioning and doubting and exploring and wondering what, what's going on, you know? And it took a few years before I started to find, find out that I wasn't alone in that. And I think people need to know that they're not alone in that because I think there's a lot of people who, and they may not even be connected to a church at all, but they're connected to Jesus in some way, you know? And I mean, I'm a fan of the church. I think, um, not the institution of church, but church as a, as a concept, um, community, Yes. Um, it's definitely some. I mean, we were definitely we were born to we were born to be in community for sure. I mean, even science says that we're made to be in community. You know, um, at a very basic cellular level, we're meant to be in community, and that's how we grow. And that that's what church is. You know, um, it doesn't have to have an organisational name behind it. You know, it doesn't have to have a denominational name behind it. Uh, it doesn't have to have a building. You know. It's a group of people, you know, you can have a, you can have a church in a room with five or six people, you know, um, I think. I I completely agree. And I think some of the, I think there's so many people who have made church into this really, um, organized and detailed institution. And I would get so frustrated with like people arguing over, should we have pews in our churches or should we have chairs or can we have drums on the stage or should we just sing hymns? And I remember thinking, what's the point? Like, this is, this is not, you're missing the point. The point is that I'm a human being created in the image of God. You're a human being created in the image of God. And we're supposed to be doing this together. And it doesn't matter if there's a sound system or not. It doesn't matter if there's lights or not. Um, it's about us joining forces and holding hands and getting through life because we need to get through life. And it's not about showing up at a church with our pretty Sunday best on and our smiles and saying, everything's great. And then we go home. It's about saying, I'm struggling. My life is hard. I need your help. Let's help each other out. And also enjoying each other's joys. Mm. It's great. You know, as much as we need to, you know, join arms, when we're struggling, we also need to join arms when we're celebrating. And, um, I, I'm so much more about this concept of community versus the building with the chairs and the band. Um, not that there's not, there are, there, there are great aspects to that as well. And I think Mm -hmm. different people respond to different things, but it's not the be all end all. The be all end all is the people. Mm. At the end of the day. Yeah. I'm really lucky. I'm part of a really great, great community um there's you know it's 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 growing it's quite it's it's got about 300 adults you know and about 300 kids 
Um, but it's a very, very much a, a family kind of atmosphere, you know. Um, yeah. There's plenty of space to be vulnerable, and our pastor is usually quite vulnerable and very honest in what he says and about his own struggles. And um, we have a great home group kind of network as well, um, which is great. I mean, I you know I'm a big fan of those because. Um, that's the place where you can be really, really vulnerable. And um, but our church throws really great parties as well, you know. And I, that's one of the things I love about our church. We have, like, I mean, last year we had a, a, a film party, so everyone dressed up in a a film costume. Like our pastor came as Darth Vader, you know. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, we do really, really good parties at our church and in our home groups as well. And I think that's really, really important actually for a church to be able to celebrate well you know absolutely i'm all about the celebration um because like we've talked about you have to feel the pain pain has to be felt but that joy has to be felt too like yes really soak in those emotions and i'm a feeler i like to feel all the feels deeply so yeah yeah celebrating is good i'm an emotional guy as well yeah much more um, yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. think you can only have joy when you suffered actually, because like joy is not like an emotion like um, like happiness. It's not some kind of fleeting like superficial thing. It's something that's really deeply felt. Um, um, like yeah, I mean I, I've, I've told this story before, but um, elsewhere. But um, when I found when I moved house about five years ago, we were selling the house that my mum had lived in, and. Um, and it was 10 years since she had died, but we found her old diary and she'd written in, like, in red pen loads of times, like, make my funeral happy. And she didn't know she was going to die um, at all. She had no idea. Well, she she kind of did, I think, in some ways. But it kind of made, I kind of had that sense of joy. I had a smile on my face when I saw that. Not, uh, I wasn't, I mean, like, maybe tears, but it wasn't, I wasn't sad, Um I was joyful, you know. I was able to celebrate her life rather than get depressed and upset because I'd, I'd done that. I'd done that already. I'd had all the therapy and counselling and all that kind of thing and prayer and whatever. But, yeah, so when you've been through suffering, you can really experience joy, and it's 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 really great. Oh, I, I, com- I completely agree, and that's just another reason why it's so important to walk through that suffering instead of numbing it. Because the joy that you feel on the other side is so worth, is so worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great. So, um, just talk a bit about, I mean, you, obviously you're, you're a writer and an editor and a blogger and, um, yeah, check out blog out by the way. It's awesome. Um, what is it? It's taylorduval.com, isn't it? taylorduval.com, yes. com. yeah. And she's got a great post up, actually, it'll be a past post by the time this goes up, but um, she's got a great post up about um, rape culture today, and it's absolutely awesome. It really is. You've oh, got to read it. Yeah. You've got to share that. Um, everyone's got to read that and share that. It's really, really important. There's, some, there's a couple of great graphics on there as well, which I think people should read. Um, but, yeah, she's a really great writer. Um, I'm going to embarrass her because okay. she's sitting kind of in front of no, me on the screen. Thank you, thank you so much. I, I genuinely appreciate that. I definitely am not the all-confident writer so as most creatives aren't um so i really appreciate your encouragement always thank you that's good yeah so tell us a bit about your creative process kind of and how you got to where you are in terms of writing 
Well, my creative process is a little sporadic. Um, I'm not the most organized human being on the planet, and my creative process definitely mimics that. Um, I've always been interested, like I mentioned, I've been interested in creativity, so I've always explored it. Um, but I definitely have not created a, an A, B, and C of how I do things. Um, it's kind of in spurts of inspiration. Um, but I do try to sit down and do the hard work as much as I can. So um, I think too often we wait for inspiration to come find us. And sometimes, and that's great, and it will. And sometimes inspiration hits us like a ton of bricks, and we're excited, and we can run with it. But sometimes creating is about working through it. You know, just sitting down and writing, um, and sitting or sitting down and mm. and you know playing your instrument or whatever your art form of choice is. Uh, but my so my yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I get hit with inspiration on a daily basis. I think I just try to work at it. And, um, it, it's a work. It, it's, it's, it's mm. not that it, it's not a joyful, happy, fulfilling type of work, but it's still work. Um, I did make the choice to get my degree in English, which a lot of people told me not to do. A lot of people said it was impractical. Um, so there was no reason you could be a writer without a degree. And all of those things are true. In some ways it, it is impractical. In some ways you absolutely can be a writer without a degree. Um, I'm really glad that I did it. Uh, it really forced me to sit down every single day. Every single day I was reading, every single day I was writing, it became a discipline for me. Um, I was reading great literature, and I was writing things outside of my boundaries. I like to write about you know, non-fictional opinion pieces on women and creativity. I like doing those things, but what does it look like when I have an assignment to write a short story or um, write a poem, all these things. And I, I really feel like that was hugely important to not only stretch stretch me and, and to teach me at that time, but also to um, teach me that there there is a discipline, I think, in, in creativity. It's, it's not... It's not just something where, where mm. it, it just falls down from the sky all the time. Like sometimes it's just a matter of I'm going to sit here and I'm going to start putting words on a page and I'm going to start putting my thoughts down and something's going to start coming up, but I have to do the work. Like my fingers have to, have to type or my hands have to write or if it, you know, for, since I'm also a musician, like sometimes I just have to sit down with my guitar it's not just going to, you know, wake me up at 3 a.m. every morning and tell me, I have this epiphany for you. There is a, a matter of work. So um, it it's still creative work, but work nonetheless. Absolutely. Yeah, that's 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 definitely my experience as well. I mean, I, I have this discipline where I try and do a bit of writing every single day, whether, whether it's writing that nobody will ever see or whether it's writing that somebody will see. Um, I, had, I had a couple of... Um, and people who listen to this podcast and know me will know this, but I had um, I've had a couple of uh, writing publishing sabbaticals where I've just stopped publishing work on my blog for a while. Um, one of them was because kind of I'd lost authenticity and lost lost integrity in my work. Um, this year I just needed a break because I got stale, and I'm thinking of doing it every year. I'm not quite sure about that yet, but. But what I've done in those periods is I've written every day on a private blog, just free writing, just not thinking about it, just writing whatever comes out. And I've I found those periods have been really, really creative, really inspirational, and they've shaped a lot of 
subsequent work I did. Like that period last year shaped me, shaped my blog for kind of a whole season and inspired an ebook and has inspired a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now. You know, it's really shaped me. Um, and I would, I would always advocate that. I mean, I don't, I try not to write every day because I don't want it to become like an idol. You know, I try and yes. do it like six days a week and have a have a writing Sabbath. Um, yes, I too. I do the same thing. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a really really important thing because I think um, I know a lot of writers say you should write every single day, but I don't think that's. And I understand why they say it, but um, I think six doing it six days a week is you know is a good thing um, because then you've got to lay it down. You know, you've got to just say, no, this does not, my whole life does not revolve around this. My identity is not in this. Uh, my security is not in this. My value doesn't come from, from this, you know. Um, yeah. Do you understand? I think you really hit it when you said your identity, you know, it helps you remind you that your identity is not in it. Because I think it's so easy. Um, anytime that you're in a creative, typically people who are in these really creative jobs or they're working for themselves or, um, it's very easy to treat them like a part of you. And in, in a way it comes from you, but it isn't you, you know, you are your own person and these are products of your creativity and products of your inspiration and products of your, your own sort of genius, but they are not you. Um, and I think it's so important to take that time off. Um, and even to just, just to remind yourself to have fun and to not take it too seriously, even though it's very important, it's a discipline we do, of course, we need to be working on our crafts, and but we also need to just have a day off and have some fun and go swimming or go playing soccer or, you know, other other things that fill us up. Um, or otherwise, I think our creativity will really hurt from hmm. not having a little outlet outside of that, that creative form. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think if you don't, if you don't let it down, eventually it starts to become a burden. It starts to become... Um, oh, I have to do this. Do I have to do? And you lose the joy, and then you lose, and then you stop. You know, and you you stop doing it altogether. And that's that's just counterproductive. You know. And again, I learned that through experience. You know, um, I. But I've always believed in the principle of, of Sabbath. You know, outside of a kind of biblical Christian kind of context, just the whole principle that you lay you lay it down for a day, you take a day where you don't do the things you normally do for the rest of the week. I think just purely on a kind of scientific kind of psychological physical kind of level that you need our bodies need that you know um and there's nothing we shouldn't feel guilty about having joy i think i think especially a lot of christians feel i can feel guilty about joy like oh i'm, I'm meant to be serious and live the live this kind of uh, kind of life all, all the time and be on be on call you know and make sure that i'm doing all the right things and appearing to do all the right things um, which is a lot of what people do, actually. People try to appear to do the right things, not actually do them, um, as clearly you, as you know from experience. Um, yes. But, uh, and then it's kind of, oh, we can't have fun. Yes, you can have fun. It's okay. And it's okay to laugh. It's okay yes. to laugh. I mean, like, Christians are so bad at laughing at themselves. Like, <laughs> I've seen these videos. I don't know if you've seen them. There's these videos online, but made by Christians. But, like... Uh, making fun of <laughs> make, like the, the top 15 Christian cliches and um, something about Christianese and this kind of making fun of what, what a, a, a kind of an American evangelical church, you know, and they're hilarious. I think they're hilarious. And the thing is, I, I showed them to my, um, I said this before, but I showed them to people 
I know who are Christians, and um, it made them feel really uncomfortable when I had to turn it off. Because... Oh, well, no, you have to laugh about it. You but have to like... laugh about it because you know I think that when I think that when when we're supposed to have life, we're supposed to have life to the fullest. If we take that for what it means, you know, if you think about the concept of what is full, it's 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 a you know if we think of our lives as as a bowl, and if Christ wants us to have our lives be the fullest that they can be, you can't just fill it with one or two emotions. You can't just fill it with one or two experiences. You have to fill it with the laughter and the tears and the partying and the crying. And and I mean, it's, it's fullness. It's, it's to its fullness. And I love, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're just going to end up crying anyway. So you, you have to, you have to find the joy in it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the people that I spoke to, these people, um, they're, they're able to laugh at themselves. But I think it was it was because they because this, these videos were kind of talking about something to do with their faith, and yeah. and they didn't think that was laughing at themselves. They thought that was laughing. And I think there's this perception that if you laugh about your faith, you're laughing at God or making fun of God or something like that. And I don't think that's true. I don't think you know. I think there's a difference between insulting God and you know, cursing God and having a laugh. I think I think God likes to have a laugh as well. And not just in the kind of, oh, like, I never... I, you know how Christians say, oh, um, I said I'd never do this and then God got me to do it kind of thing? Because that's God's yeah. sense of humour, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, like, the only thing God has a sense of humour about. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's got a sense of humour. He laughs at jokes, you know. It's, and some yeah. things are just funny and you have to just laugh at them, I think. It's just, yeah. So, yeah, back to the creative thing. Um, so what is, I mean, like, um, how long have you been, like, blogging? And have you, what kind of projects are you working on? Uh, well, I, I actually started blogging uh, when I was a teenager originally um, and kind of grew some sort of following. And then when I went through that time where I let go of all my creativity while I was, uh, mostly while I was married, I shut down that blog and I, um, restarted it a couple years ago and I didn't take it very seriously at first it was more just kind of a I'll do this once or twice when I remember it um but I I hadn't started really taking it seriously till probably a year ago um so I do that a few times a week that's definitely a discipline um you know thinking you having to think ahead of time and and scheduling posts even though there's this real creative element to blogging there's a lot of, of work and, and technical aspects to it as well, mm-hmm. which I like. I, I like having both of those in my life. Um, I also write for different clients. Um, I, I do different blog posts, everything from product descriptions to um, really interesting and creative blog posts. So I, I really enjoy doing that. And then I know for a writer, this may seem weird, but I just picked up journaling. I never did this. Everybody always you know, would say, you have to journal, you have to write, you know, to yourself every day. And I never did that. Um, so I, I started doing that a few months ago and, uh, I've been really benefiting from that. Just knowing that I'm the only person who really needs to read it. It doesn't have to be grammatically correct. The spelling doesn't have to be perfect. Um, the thoughts don't even have to make sense. Um, mm. and I don't have to worry about offending anybody. It's just a matter of, getting it out there. So I've been really liking that. I think that's really benefiting the writing that I'm doing for clients and for my blog because I'm getting all that out on my own time. Kind of like you were saying about your private blog. 
Yeah, that's basically what my private blog is. It's my, it's kind of my journal. Nobody knows yeah. the address of that blog. Uh, right. I don't give it to anybody, you know, and um, um, I try and write on there, and it doesn't matter. Nobody's ever going to see it. I don't care if anyone sees it or doesn't see it. Um, so, yeah, and, and it's just that free writing and that kind of just getting stuff out. And I think I, I this is one metaphor that I've kind of realized, that, I, that came to me while I was writing, actually, in one of these times was that uh, free writing is like our sub giving our subconscious a voice. It's like letting our subconscious speak so we can yeah. hear what's going on inside of us. Um, that's, and I, I really, really believe in this um, journaling, free writing um, idea. I think, you know, I know people talk about it a lot, but um, I think it's so, so important to discovering who we really are and, um, discovering our, our calling and our purpose and, you know, our passion. As a writer, it's, it's, it's key to finding your voice, I think. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more because when you're, you can find your voice when you're not thinking about who am I talking to. Um, I think that thinking about audience is super important, but it can, it can definitely be a hindrance to finding your voice. Um, if you're worried about how are they going to take this, how, how is this going to sound, how is this coming across, um, that, that can happen so often and it, it can be really disabling. But writing in that, in that free space, you're just exactly who you are because it doesn't matter. It, no one's paying attention. So um, I feel like that's – I don't know about you, but for me it's really translated in my writing. I'm kind of finding more of exactly who I am by just writing for myself. I'm not writing – you know, in school, I would write for professors, and I was always very concerned for clients. You know, they're paying me, so I have to make sure to give them what they want. And um, blogging, I you know, I have an audience, but when it's just me in that journal, it's just me in that journal, and it's, there's something really precious about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I like you say, I, I found that as well. That that's how I found my voice. You know, um, there's a lot of blogs out there. You know, um, and to me, they're more marketing blogs. They're not about writing i mean they say they're about writing but they're more about um how to achieve success and stats and numbers and all that kind of thing and they talk about finding your voice um and in a sense that's helpful and it's important but the way they talk about it i hasn't always helped me you know i think having done the, the free writing journaling thing that that's what that's a really great way to find what's really going on and that's that's really, really important. And it doesn't have to be something that loads of people want to hear either. It might be that only 10 people read your work, but that's 10 more people than, than zero, you know. And, yeah. and ultimately, I think the process of writing changes us as well. So if it doesn't change anybody else, it will change you. You know, it will... Um, I mean, I, I, saw a, I saw a blog post recently saying that um, the whole thing that, that art, art for its own sake is a bad thing. And I was like, I couldn't. I was like, how can how can you say that? It's like saying that, yeah. like it's like devaluing anybody's work who doesn't get which doesn't get seen by any more than one or two people. You know, I think, and also the whole free writing, journaling thing, that is so important. To people finding their authentic voice, and you know, and it, it can actually help shape a message. This is this has been my experience. Shape a message which they can then share with loads more people. So it is really important. In fact, it might even be more important, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm really passionate about that. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. I think you have to cultivate that 
those thoughts. Um, so they're not just impacting thousands of people who are going to make you rich and put your book on the bestseller list. You're cultivating those thoughts because you have to, because you were, you were born and designed and created to be a creator. And I think there's so much more value. It's not just about making money and it's not just about selling and getting hits. And this is something I have to constantly remind myself, especially since I do make my living with my art form. Um, I'm constantly reminding myself at the end of the day, I need to create because I was designed to create. And if I'm the only person who reads what I write, so be it. And I think, I think my story has proved, has proven this to me. I mean, I, when I was at my most miserable is when I, I had thrown creativity out the window. I wasn't writing. I wasn't playing music. I was miserable and I wasn't myself. I was depressed. I was full, full of anxiety. Um, and now I feel like not that every day is perfect by any means, but I feel like Taylor. I feel like myself. I'm full of life. And I definitely credit that so much to just exploring my creativity every single day. Um, it's changed my life. And even if, you know, if it doesn't change anybody else's life at the end of the day, I sure have one happy, happy life from it. So mm. that works. Mm. Yeah. I'm definitely with you. Yeah. Um, great. I think, yeah, we're all creative. Like you say, I think, you don't have to be an artist to be creative, you know. Um, I saw Brené Brown um, talking about this on, um, I think it was Chase Jarvis, and talking about how vulnerability is um, key to creativity, you know. So ultimately, exposing ourselves to our own pain is key to creativity, and creativity is the key to everything else. It's how scientific discoveries are made, it's how we find cures for disease, it's, you know, all this kind of thing. It all comes from creativity, from imagination. You know, if you numb yourself to everything, it's going back to where we started, it's kind of, if you numb yourself to everything, then you won't be able to create anything and you won't be able to change people's lives because you'll be knowing your imagination and it, you, know, you won't be able to imagine new possibilities and new tomorrows and your life will be kind of, it will become kind of repetitive and dull, you know. Uh, Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned Brene Brown. I'm, I'm just reading her latest book right now, and um, it's her book Rising Strong, and she's talking about how do we get back up after we've fallen. Once, you know, we've been, maybe we've been vulnerable and we've been brave and we still fell flat on our face, how do we get up? And she was talking that talking about how creativity is one of those ways that we get up. Mm. And without it, we stay stagnant and we stay down and we stay in the pit. Creativity is what gets us back up and walking again. And it absolutely did that for me. And I fear that, um, there's so many people who don't think that they're creative and because maybe they're not in a traditionally artistic job or they don't have a, tra a traditionally artistic hobby. Um, but I think that any, absolutely everybody is creative. I mean, even mathematicians have to come up with new formulas and, and, and accountants have to come up with new systems and it, it's creation if you create anything, if you have an idea and you make that, you're creative. Mm. And, um, you know, it brings new life. It, that's how we get up again is, is newness. If, if we stay where we are and we're stagnant, we need to create to get back up again. Yeah, absolutely. Creativity does pour out into every area of life. Although I wouldn't want to have too creative an accountant, I must say. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, you've got to be careful with creative accountants. Yeah. <laughs> um, with my money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I love that joke. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been reading Brian Abra. I'm reading um, The Guest of Imperfection at the moment. Um, and it's just, again, it's just all about that, you know, being vulnerable, being honest about who you are, knowing that you belong already. And I've talked about this in another podcast. You know, we all belong already as we are. And we all matter as we are, not not being perfect you know we're not we're not perfect um but there's kind of beauty in that imperfection and that kind of brings out a message that we can share with other people you know whether that's in artistic work or whether it's in any other any other kind of work or just how we live you know that um vulnerability is so so important i actually had a was on a facebook q a with Bunny brown and she said that creativity is actually key to living a lot of these things that she talks about out because that's how we get things from our head to our heart is through our hands and um really really important yeah fantastic absolutely absolutely yeah well this has been fantastic i've really enjoyed this it's been such a treat thank you so much yeah yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. By the way, I just knocked the microphone over for everybody who's wondering what that funny noise was. <laughs> yeah, we do things live here on uh, James Talks. and um, <laughs> So, yeah, so me, me and Taylor are going to keep on chatting, but um, this is, um, this is uh, all for James Talks for today. And I'm sure we're going to have Taylor back at some point because um, I think we've only just got started on the things that we're going to be talking about. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, it's been great to have you here, Taylor, today. It's been, it's been great to be here. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, take care, everyone, and we will talk soon.